right, Tamina. I mean, look at you. You got the professional looking studio in the house. Amazing. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, I'm glad to have you here. And I was really drawn towards what you do as an immigration lawyer, and especially in the time we're in, I think it's a very relevant topic. Every day I scratch my head, many times a day. Yeah. How did you get into this? You know, it's an interesting story because I always wanted to be a lawyer. All I wanted to do was be a lawyer. Really? Okay. You can be a barrister, uh, sort of like what George Clooney's wife does. And that's all I wanted to do. And life sort of brought me to a point where I married an American and I came to the U.S. and I had to go through the immigration process and sort of figure out out, you know, what my career holds. And immigration kept following me. And of all the legal areas, immigration was the one thing I didn't want to do. It was the absolute one thing I said to myself, I do not want to do immigration. And it kept following me around. I had couldn't get any jobs. And then the third time round, I had an offer in immigration. I said, you know, I'll just do this for five years and see how it goes. And then I'll go into litigation. But then the second day or the first day of immigration, I thought, why was I fighting this? It's what I meant to do. And it's just so befitting. You know, I went through the immigration process. My parents were immigrants in the UK. So I essentially grew up in a household that was considered an immigrant household, even though in the UK, I didn't I wasn't an immigrant. And then I'm dealing with the one of the most interesting areas of law. It's difficult. It's um, intellectually challenging. And it has a real effect on people's lives that you get to see in real time. You're not paper pushing like many other different areas of law where you're in one transaction after another, not really seeing what the end goal is. Um, So I fell in love with it and I haven't looked back. Oh, that's amazing. That's really amazing. What is it about immigration law that maybe people would be surprised about or maybe just don't have a lot of knowledge about from the outside looking in? Sure. You know, one of the things I say to people is I get to help people from every walk of life. So if you turn on the television, you often will hear about what's happening at the border. You're hearing about the the stories that, you know, make you want to cry. But there are so many happy stories, too. I get to help, you know, religious workers, priests and, you know, monks and what have you. I get to help musicians, dancers, uh, singers, um, athletes, people who are coming to the U.S. to enrich the culture here. I get to help CEOs of companies who are starting something from scratch and then creating something, you know, really big. Um, While Zoom, the founder, is not my client, my clients are often people like that who have brilliant ideas and creating businesses from scratch. I'm helping people who have talent, who are finding the cure for various diseases, you know, um, who are getting visas in the life sciences. You know, you can help a, a tiny group of people if you want, like doctors, or you could be helping asylum seekers if you want, or you could be helping the person who is running away from domestic violence. You get to help people in any and every walk of life, and you can choose where you want to focus your attention. What happened with me is I was, and you don't have to be in court, by the way. You could be in court every day if you want, 
or you don't have to be in court if you want. And that's that's me. But I found that when I started my own law firm in 2009, it was in the heart of the recession. And people kept saying to me, you know, when they were terminated from their positions because the economy um, justified that businesses couldn't stay open with so many employees. Those people came to me and said, I want to start my own business. I've always wanted to start my own business. And what I found interesting is I was just starting my own law firm. A law firm is a business just like any other. I have to pay bills. I have to pay payroll taxes. I have to do all the things that my clients have to do. And I really could relate to them. So over time, I found that I have a knack for business immigration, particularly helping businesses with, with their talents that they're recruiting or they're investing in their own companies and, and so forth. But I also help people get citizenship. You know, that's a very happy area. You know, when I got my own citizenship, it's, a, it's an interesting story and I'll have to send you a, a link to my story that was published in the Seattle Times. You know, by then I had helped hundreds and hundreds of people get citizenship but it was you know a file in my office and a human being that I'm helping and at the end of it you know they're thanking me and I'm thanking them but I didn't really get to experience that emotional um, experience that you go through when you're getting citizenship here you know I came from the UK where I have rights I didn't necessarily feel compelled to get citizenship until my children were born. Mm. And I thought, you know, you can lose your green card for whatever reason. I want to make sure I don't, I never fall in that situation. But there are people who come from different parts of the world where they're persecuted and they finally get their rights solidified. And so when I got my citizenship and I went up on that stage to get my certificate, I called it a rebirth because suddenly your entire life sort of flashes in front of you thinking, wow, I'm here. You know, I didn't know I had the American dream, but boy, have my dreams come have come true in, in America. So it really is a feel good area of law where you're really just fighting the government and not another, you know, human mm. being who's an opposing lawyer. And you're seeing the difference between a client from the moment they come to you saying, what are my options? And then you go through maybe two or three stages and eventually they get their green card or they get their citizenship. And it's just, it's a really good feel good area of law. It's fascinating that you mentioned that it's a feel good area of law, but it's interesting that I feel like a lot of the coverage doesn't explain that. It's, you know, you know that's, yeah, you know, it's, I'm so glad you picked up on that because it's a feel good area in the sense that not everything feels good. You're always having challenges against, you know, you're, you're up against the tide often, but it's feel good in the sense that you're really making a difference in somebody's life and you see it, it's tangible. You know, when we're, we're, let's take the Muslim ban, for example, suddenly, you know, I have clients who are apart for basically years and when they're reunited and the entire family comes to the airport to see them you know that's a feel-good moment when that client is actually getting their citizenship certificate that's a feel-good moment um, and so and then when the economy is booming and you're finding that client who's created 50 jobs in that company for employee people who don't who wouldn't have jobs otherwise that's a feel-good moment so there are lots of feel-good moments in this even though maybe in one linear moment it is not um, but uh, I do really want to change the narrative on immigration and 
about why it is important for this country and how it benefits everybody. I mean, let's talk a little further about that, because I think that narrative is a fairly negative one on the news or the information that's being put out there. And why is it so negative, in your opinion, or construed the way it is? I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, And I I will say that I have a podcast called Tamina Talks Immigration, and we're in the process at the moment of recording a series uh, to go with my book that will come out in July called The Startup Visa. And so in this series, I actually have a reporter uh, who is um, interviewed, and she talks a little bit about the narrative on, on, you know, why the news cycle is always portraying the stories that you describe. Um, So I would make sure that people who tune in find that episode when that comes out. But one of the things that's important to know is the media is always also a business and they're trying to sell news. And what's happening around the country on immigration, they're not untrue, they are true. These are happening and we do need to report them. But what doesn't get told is the feel good factors of the news too. Um, and one of the things that, uh, you know, that I mentioned the podcast and the book, it's I'm writing about the startup visa, sort of a, 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 an angle of the things I just spoke about, but how um, immigrants are creating jobs, how they're helping the economy. If you think about the pandemic life that we have just lived through and still living in, hopefully coming to the tail end of it, but we right. really have had um, an unprecedented time. If your listeners think about going to the grocery store, the only place many of us could go for some time, those shiny apples in the grocery store, who's picking them to put them there for you to eat? It's the immigrants. If you think about the way you and I are communicating right now, but many other um, organizations and professional services, they're operating by Zoom. That was created and founded by a Zoom, um, uh, an immigrant, Chinese immigrant, who actually got denied his visa eight times before he was able to come here. If you think about the shots we're, we're getting at the moment from Moderna, co-founded and co-created by immigrants, immigrants are part of the fabric of our lives, and we don't realize that. We take it all for granted. And it's because we either don't want to hear about it, or we have completely sort of like pushed it back from our minds, uh, or we just don't want to know because life is, you know, going. But, you know, it's not just the pandemic. It's so much more than that. If you take your, if you think back to, you know, your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, they all came from somewhere from somewhere and it's important to remember that everything that we do in our lives there's an immigrant component to it the jeans that you're wearing Levi's jeans immigrant you know if you think about um, the headsets that we wear from Bose immigrant Um, if you think about aluminium steel uh, it was manufactured by an immigrant every aspect of our lives are intertwined by immigrant stories. You know, I just recently learned, I didn't pay attention to this before, but Walt Disney is a second generation immigrant, you know, um, and, and we, we, all these companies have put us on the map in the world, yet they're immigrant created and founded. Um, you know, one of the other applications we've been using in COVID is WhatsApp. 
mm-hmm. you know, created by, founded by an immigrant. There are many, many, many such stories. Some we know of, some we don't know of. But what's important is we cannot discount this from our lives because we all came from somewhere, whether it's first generation today or fifth generation from, you know, years ago. Um, And that's what we've forgotten. And that's why the narrative needs to change. Yeah, what's interesting is, you know, the United States, which essentially is a country created by immigrants and had massive influx of immigrants throughout its history, seems to have a contentious relationship with immigrants now, which I find very strange on the sense. I I totally agree with you. And I have to say, I mean, my my husband's Caucasian and he's just an amazing guy. He he grew up with some friends and um, what's interesting is I had one person write me a fifteen page thesis about why immigration is bad, except they they were third generation immigrants and I think I was the recipient of the letter because I'm an immigration oh, attorney. Okay. You know, but what's what's really interesting is you 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 hit it on the nail when you say. It, America was created by immigrants. I write that book, you know, I actually made an effort to pick the book out from the shelf, my shelf, because I, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I forget to do this every time I'm on a video. But, you know, the, the book is called The Startup Visa about immigrants creating jobs, but there's a chapter about history. You know, if I'm going to be persuading somebody, I need to know my own history. And at the time when I was writing this book, a new documentary had just been released on the History Channel called America, the story of us. And it was almost like a crash course in American history for me, but it's really for everybody. And it didn't have immigration as a lens for it. It was just a historic documentary. But what was so interesting about this, A, I have never binged watched a documentary. I did that in the whole, you know, one weekend of 15 episodes. But it was also very graphically pleasing. You know, it's sort of really easy on the eye, easy to explain. Everybody should watch that. I love that show. But what I learned from it, you know, especially with the graphics that they had, um, and of course, reading books, when Jamestown settlement happened, it's the people who were persecuted from different parts of the world, particularly from the UK, that were coming here. And they planted the first seed for tobacco that they were not allowed to bring here. And that tobacco is what, you know, enriched that particular area. And then it grew and grew and grew. That's the story of America. You know, that's what, you know, America is about. You come here and you build on top of what is here. And that's what people forget. And the question that you ask is important. Why do people say we don't want them is because we, it's a human, it's human nature to be selfish and forgetful, be forgetful. And that's what's happening. Yeah, totally true. I, you know, so we forget things so quickly. I mean, you think about, I always think about if something comes out in the news 10 years ago and it's such a big deal within a matter of, you know, years, it's almost like it never happened. Unless something comes up that surfaces those things, it really come, it kind of goes to the back of your mind and we're, we're busier than ever with all the things in our lives. So it's like something replaces that story that happens. So imagine if that story is 200 years old, 300 years old, and you're so far removed from it you have no real lineage to it or emotional attachment to the first people who were here and things of that nature for that, you know, so you just, you just forget. And then you, 
And then you start creating this us versus them narrative, which I'm, I feel like that's a big narrative in immigration. It's like, well, we're here in America and you're coming to our country and, you know, and they create this like us against them. Yes. Uh, you know? and, and the us against them theory has been used in so many different contexts and they yeah. all were exacerbated under COVID in the summer with all the protests that we saw. It's, it's an ongoing problem, but it absolutely, um, and, you know, at the moment it's about, over the summer. I mean, I think in the 12 month course uh, of history, we have seen every negative thing sort of be exacerbated. You know, of course, we had the protests with Black Lives Matter. And now, you know, obviously, COVID has allowed, reached into the, the narrative of hating Asians. And right now, we're in this sort of um, anti, there are lots of anti-Semitic um, issues going on. I mean, it's, it's a rolling issue of them and us. But one of the things that I think is important is education in our elementary schools and beyond. And recently, in the Wall Street Journal, I think there was an article that was written saying our education needs to change some with having history within yes. it. Because, you know, I don't know if you saw this meme or little ad during COVID where it was going around social media with a little cassette tape. You know, do you, do you remember no, those I don't cassette remember tapes that. we no. had when we, were, when we were young? Oh, no, I remember that, but I don't remember I, if there was a meme about it. No. The, it was a meme, I, I'll see if I can find it, but it had a little pencil yeah. and a cassette and saying, if you know what this does, then <laughs> you're at risk of the virus. Oh, no. <laughs> and you know what it does i yeah. know what it does, but the millennials yeah. wouldn't um it's sort of like that you know you're yeah. so right that you're so removed from 200 years of history yeah. that how could you possibly know why this is important today and so it's a multifaceted approach that is necessary to really um, change the narrative, if you can't just, it's almost like I say often for immigration reform, that you can't just reform what is necessary for the mm -hmm. dreamers or the border. You really need to reform everything. It's like your knee bone is connected to the hip bone and therefore, you know, the whole body will be lopsided in a different way if you don't reform everything. Similarly, we have structural issues that need addressing and education, is one component of it for the us against them narrative. I think so. And you know what? I already see it on some level because I think you're kind of younger millennials, your generation Z, they're much more sensitive about discrimination and racism than I think previous generations were much more aware of it. And you have to start, I always say this, you got to start backwards. You got to start with, you know, the genesis of a person and raise good humans who will go out and, and be a light for other humans. Because right now what I feel like is happening is that there's, there's a lot of dying off of the old mentality. And usually when something's dying, it scratches and claws to stay alive and it's ugly in a lot of ways. And so you still have some of that nastiness and that hate towards things, but I truly believe that's changing because the people coming up behind those people are not, they're not into that. They're very, very, opposed to these ideas of treating people poorly, um, saying outrageous things and not having accountability for that. And I think as long as we continue to educate people about these things, we're going to see that. And actually it made me think of one thing about, because, you know, lawyers are infamously like, people generally don't like lawyers a lot of times, you know, like there's a weird 
there's this weird feeling about lawyers. Do you ever get that, especially with immigration? Like, man, I'm a lawyer and people think these things about me, you know? I have personally not, and I'll, I'll tell you in a minute about something else. But yes, I think uh, of, over the course of years, for some bad apples, you do, you have heard of, you know, uh, some negative stuff about lawyers. But I will say over the last four years, you probably haven't heard much about lawyers having a bad rep. And that's because we stood up for the rights of people whether it was immigration, whether it was Me Too, whether it was civil rights, lawyers were necessary. And, you know, I, I, I'm so happy I picked up my books. I ran downstairs to the podcast room. I thought I must pick up the books. So this is the book I wrote last year. And it, I, wrote, yes. I wrote it because from the moment the 2016 election was lost, that's the moment that I personally stepped up even more. And it continued with the Muslim ban and it continued with, you know, all the other things that followed up and with up until the separation of children. But it wasn't just me. I'm an example of what other lawyers had done. And so what was absolutely apparent in the last four years is lawyers are an, a, a profound part of society because rule, the rule of law is what keeps us going. That is the foundation of how a society needs to work. But if you, you need those lawyers to uphold the rule of law. And so over the last four years, I think any, I, I mean, I haven't heard any jokes in the last four years, at least. Um, but it's, it's important to understand the importance of lawyers in, in our communities and our society. But yes, there are always those who will exploit them. And what happened with the last administration, there were lawyers who enabled um, mm. the previous president. And for that, I would say that the bar associations, the authorities that, um, you know, monitor and observe lawyers' codes of conduct, they need to now figure out how can this not happen again? You know, it's very, very important that lawyers are using the law for good. You know, you really maintain and uphold the rule of law. Don't find the loopholes and exploit them and enable bad actors to actually be worse. Yeah, I, I find one, the name of the book, Legal Heroes in the Era of Trump. Interesting, because it's kind of a lightning rod, in a sense. People go, oh, what do you think about this time? Like, what was your feelings about it? But what do you think? You mentioned the, the travel bans. Was that like the most impactful thing that spurred a lot of this action of like, hey, you can't come here type of thing? Was that no. like the jump off point for you? It's like, hey, this feels wrong. Yeah. And, you know, as you're asking that question, I have goosebumps all over me because it's sort of like it's one of those moments that you'll never forget. But not just me. Every lawyer felt it. If you remember the news um, uh, channels flooded with people who are protesting, but also flooded with lawyers. And it's because it's that was a moment in time in which we all realized that lawyers are what are needed to protect rights of people. And so what people didn't realize, and I speak about it quite often these days, is that the passengers that were on those planes, whether they were boarding the plane from whichever country they were in, whether they were airborne or they had just landed, they were all banned without even knowing it. You know, that we in America, we have not excluded people 
since the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was in the you know late 1800s, early 1900s. And you know, we think of ourselves as a progressive country where people's rights are protected. But that was a moment in history in which the laws were completely set aside. And what's interesting about that is the Supreme Court did, you know, uphold the third ban, not the first draft, the second draft or the third draft. It's because by the time the third draft had come along of that ban, they took away all the, you know, um, stuff that uh, didn't legally stand in place. And so the Supreme Court judges basically said, we're looking at the four corners of this document. We're not looking at the rhetoric that goes behind it. And that's why it was allowed to stay. And that's why, you know, we had that for basically four years for, for many countries. And so that was the moment, you're right about the word lightning rod, where lawyers were like, I became a lawyer to protect the rule of law. And this is a moment where the rule of law is just being put aside. And that's what happened to a lot of lawyers. And there's, um, you know, in the book, I would highly encourage people to read it. You know, it's not just about my story. There are 13 other lawyers in it that I highlight. And one of them is the founder of um, Lawyers for Good Government. And she talks mm. about how she had 200,000 lawyers. Yes, uh, mobilized in every wow. area. So lawyers lawyers are an important part of our society i mean that's well said and you know what you made me think about something it's kind of, so i grew up around the world i grew up in a military family so i'd lived in europe and traveled all over you know different areas of the world and obviously the united states and so you know i've met so many people from different cultures and i feel like people just want to raise their families have a good life work hard and i never forget i was uh, in malaysia and I was opening a fitness club there. I was standing in line at uh, Kuala Lumpur, the airport there. And this gentleman is uh, from the Middle East and he goes, you have an American passport. He said, do you know what that means? I said, what does it mean? He said, you have the golden ticket. You can go anywhere. I can't do that. And it, it made me think how, how much freedom I have being in the United States and that other people, they want that freedom. They want to be able to pursue a life of, of joy and happiness and exploration and curiosity. And they're limited by their geography, where they're from. And I think when you had those conversations, I had many conversations like that with people from all over the world, you become more sensitive to immigration and to how other people live. And I think a lot of people are heavily uh, have really bad feelings about immigration. I don't, they don't know anybody from other places. I, that's my experience. They basically know people in their town or in their family, and they actually have zero experience with other people from other places, which is a poor platform to stand on to judge people. And you have no experience knowing anybody that doesn't look like you or is from another place or even go to where they live and see how they live for that. So, I mean, that really resonates with me, the things you're saying, you know. I love, I love that you've traveled the world. And actually, a few years ago, I went to Malaysia and I was trying to pick, remember the, the yeah. airport there. It was, it was pretty cool. But you're totally right. It's about the, the closed-mindedness because you don't get to see them. 
see us, see see anybody. But I think that needs to change. I think, and it's part of the rhetoric. You know, if yeah. somebody hasn't hasn't gone out of their you know small little town, the way they have access to information is through the television or radio, and that's where we need to be able to change the narrative mm -hmm. so that they can hear it. You know, the average person has to hear something eleven times before it actually sinks in the first yeah. time doesn't sink in it's almost like you get an invitation to go some con some conference you're not paying attention until it's like the night you have kids you have to do that like 50 million times oh my god <laughs> do, you, do you have kids i have a daughter and i feel like i've said the same thing for like 10 years i'm like <laughs> Well, I have two girls, 11 and eight, and totally, I don't have brain cells anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right. You but just it, repeat yourself all the time. Oh my gosh. But you know, I repeat myself about tying the shoelace or brushing. Yes, brush your teeth all the time. Jeez, man. <laughs> yeah, get your coat <laughs> twice a day. And I'm like, you know, haven't I said this every day of the, your life? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My husband teases me, you know, I uh, often will say, you know, something three times and I'm like, I told you 10 times. And so he'll be like, did you tell them 10 times? I said, yes, I told them 10 times. Yeah. So the 11 times it's like, man, imagine if you have kids, you're man, you're going overboard with. It. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I meditate these days. I think yeah. I'm better at the not yelling part, but it's still. Yeah. Happens. Yeah, I, I get it. But you, yeah. So you're so right about that. You have to really be persistent with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if you're people are generally, I think small mindedness causes huge judgment with people. That's right. You know, but if you have a, a hugely open mind and you've been around a lot of places, your judgment generally is less is much smaller because you understand for that. So one mm -hmm. of the worst things you can do is be very close minded about almost anything, I think. But you see, the, the trouble is those who are closed-minded don't necessarily think they are. Yeah, and that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't know any better. Yeah. And so what I find is, I always think, what can I do? Mm -hmm. What can I do to move the needle? And so after this election, I actually do sleep a little bit better. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to worry about what I have to wake up to in the morning, which clients are going to be affected by new policy. Yeah. Um, yes, there are lots of issues ongoing. It's an after effect of what happened over the last four years and COVID. Um, but I know that it, at the end of the day, this leadership is going to lead with their hearts and minds, not, you know, not from a selfish point. Um, but what what I find is I wake up and like, what can I do better? What can I do to make my clients' lives better? What can I do? And so for myself, I've taken up bird watching. I was a closet oh. bird watcher. I never knew until maybe like two months ago. And now I've got a nice camera. So for myself, I'm a bird watcher and uh, very brand new. So don't ask me the names of the birds. Where do you live that you watch I birds? You know, I live uh, in Seattle and our, our, our yard has some, you know, bird feeders. We've had them for three years. I never paid attention, but I, I suddenly and my husband, poor guy, you know, he would, yeah. you know, fill up the bird feeder every weekend. And I was the beneficiary not noticing until <laughs> two months ago. So for myself, I'm a bird watcher now. I'm just really starting to. And this morning I saw a hummingbird. So it's that's very, nice. Very we're in the same state, you know, I mean, we're both in Washington state. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where are you? Whereabouts are you? I'm two hours away from you in Blaine, Washington, right on the Canadian border. Oh, right no the... way. 
Why? Mm-hmm. Apparently, I was just told last week by a fellow immigration lawyer that somewhere near the border where you are, there's a bird sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so I have now got designs about going there. So maybe you and I can have a walk and talk. Yes. And you know where I live is one of the most popular migratory patterns for birds in the entire world in, in Blaine. No way. So we, you know, we have like crazy amounts of uh, bald eagles and blue herons. And it's a huge, it's literally a huge uh, corridor of birds always passing through throughout the year. Um, it's designated as one of the big migratory patterns in the US uh, up here. So is there a, is there a specific time in, in the year? Or anytime. Is all, all year I'm long. coming over for a day trip. And actually, see, now this is, see, this is what happens when you talk <laughs> to people. We have an annual event. It's called Wings Over Water. And it's like an entire week of like bird watching and conferences about birds here in town in Blaine. Every year, it's a huge event. I am yeah. so looking into that and I'm coming I'm over telling for a you. day trip. And we, yeah. we do a walk and talk. I'm telling you. I would love it. So that's what I do for me. But what mm-hmm. am I doing for my clients? Um, so I managed to recently get a column, a biweekly column in a national magazine called Above the Law. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing about what I'm seeing every day. And, I, and, and my clients are affected in every single way, whether it's, you know, they're waiting for a green card or working, waiting for a work permit. They're delayed by months. I mean, since COVID began, there's been a delay. And that's what, 15 months now at this point? My math is off potentially a little bit. But I'm writing about that. I've just started a new column with Entrepreneur Magazine. Hopefully my first one will come out soon. But that's the way I can be a voice. I can be a voice for my clients. But what I want people to take away from this is that you can be a voice for your own community. What do you care about? Do you care about education? You know, given what's happened in the last, you know, year and a half with kids' educations, do you care about that? Do you care about healthcare? Do you care about the climate? Do you care? Well, you care about something, I promise you. If you care about something, raise your voice and do something about it. That's how we change the narrative on whatever it is that you care about. Yeah, m- most definitely. I think, you know, for me, having all of these conversations with people throughout the years, it, it just enlightens me about what's going on. And as soon as I saw about immigration law, I'm like, you know what, I want to know about this, but I don't know anybody that really does this. So it's like, all of a sudden, I'm talking to you, I'm getting the other side of the coin. And I think that's what's not happening, is we're not getting the other side of the story. We just hear about immigration. And then we hear these weird stories and negative things, but nobody, I'm telling you, I never hear about the good stories about this. When is that ever broadcast? Yeah. So you have to actually seek out to find people who are having these good stories and talk to people like yourself. Well, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. And I'm just so thrilled that you're in Washington state. And now I, know. I have, I'm going to, you, Seriously. as soon as we're off, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm, when is my day trip? Seriously, you'll, you'll like literally like be blown away because every day we walk this, the area called the spit. It's like a place with two, you know, big water bodies on each side and a road goes through it and leads to a beautiful resort, Semiyama resort. And they, it's just, just birds everywhere all the oh time. It's actually I, insane. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm, yeah. I, it's almost like I can't wait. I have to look at my calendar and find the date. <laughs> I, and I, I've lived all over the world there may not be a more beautiful place than this area up here, seriously. Wow. Because you can see Canada from, from where, where all those bald eagles flying, Canada in the background, you know, the Canadian Rockies. It's like crazy. It's actually crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking, I need to have extra batteries and yeah. extra cards. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's awesome. My wife will join us. She's like a massive bird watcher. Like oh my massive. God. Like, I love it. I'm crazy. so new. I'm so new, but I'm totally like all in. And you know, nice. I, I had one of those cameras that, you know, just, it was this, uh, an SLR, but it had one of those uh, zooms that just came with it, but mm -hmm. it wasn't zooming enough. So then I got this huge, like six inch long sort of zoom. Yeah. But I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to put it on <laughs> Like it sat there for six months and then my husband finally put it on but then I'm like I don't even know where I'm looking you know I'm looking yeah. here, I don't know what I'm looking at and so wow. then he got me a medium-sized zoom which is really great and now wow. I can actually take good pictures so See the things you learn about people when you just start chatting and you know you learn a little bit about your life your work life what you're into other things. That's the joy of meeting people. Oh, I love it. I love that I finally have a hobby. I didn't have one. Like, Who, who's got time for a hobby? What are oh, you talking my goodness. about? <laughs> like, you know, I had my cup of tea outside instead of sitting at the desk. Yeah. 10 minutes of bird watching fed my soul for the rest of the day. Wow. And thank you for letting me speak about it. Who knew? Yes. It's my first time sort of outing as a bird watcher. That happens with me. Okay. That tends to happen. These types of things. Well, Hey, last thing I want you to promote or shout out all the stuff you do in your books. Just let's run through it here. Oh, thank you so much. Well, first of all, my day job is being an immigration lawyer and my website is www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. I do have a blog actually that's actively, you know, maintained all the time. And I tell all my clients and everybody else, please sign up because that's where you can get news that affects you. But I do have two books, uh, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era, which I just learned is selling in Target too. Um, Beautiful. And then this is the startup visa, job growth and economic prosperity in America. And the second edition is coming out in, in July. I have my podcast called Tamina Talks Immigration. All the people in this book are actually uh, interviewed uh, in the podcast so you can hear them in their own voices. And then I have a podcast series that's coming out in June for the startup visa. I'm sure I do other things. I can't remember them. <laughs> all, but uh, my, my column and above the law, I'd love for people to follow that. But thank you, Dr. Parker. It's just so wonderful to yeah. speak with you. You have such an easygoing thing about you. And you're just talking about interesting things. So I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure the audience be, will enjoy listening to this and learning quite a bit. It's going to come out very soon. So thank you, Tamina, so much. And uh, hey, listen, happy bird watching. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we should follow us on social media and see our selfies with birds soon. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for Take listening care. to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.